It's been a while. It's good to be home. You are my rock. You never change. And because he never changes, he doesn't have to apologize or change his mind of what he says. So I am who he says I am. I tell you, I try to pace myself so that I can have some some vocal cords left to preach, but I just was so excited to be in this space. I was thinking to myself, Michael, just come up right into the intro, just act like you didn't skip a beat, but I can't because just hearing the body of Christ sing, man, you all don't know how good it is, how great you sound. I just believe that it's a praise unto the Lord that just grabbed my heart on this morning And I could take it for granted, we could take it for granted, but I haven't heard this sound in over three weeks. I was just overcome, and I usually try to go an octave below Zach so that I can keep my vocal cords, but this time I was trying to keep up with Zach. So I may need a bottle of water somewhere in the middle of this this sermon, but I'm just so excited to, to be with you and sharing the word of God on this morning. All right, here we go. Just bear with me for, uh, for this one Sunday, maybe two. I've been gone long enough to, uh, to get a little rusty. It's familiar, but I feel like I may have a few cobwebs, so I'm just holding on to the Lord, and hopefully muscle memory kicks in at some point, but I, I feel a whole lot of emotions right now. Uh, we've been in uh, the book of Exodus for the past now six months, so uh, we have uncreatively titled our year-long series, Exodus. Uh, For the next four weeks, uh, we'll be in a series within the series, which creatively not so much, I'm going to title Family Formation. We'll be in Exodus chapter 21, going through Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. Not today. Everybody calm down over the next four weeks. And what we're going to see as we unpack these passages is God forming his family. In this case, Old Testament, the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at the rules that God gave his people to teach them regarding how they are to see people, possessions, their practices, and of course, the priesthood. You caught all that? Just remember the letter P and you'll be with us for the next four weeks. You'll be able to stay consistent. And so as we go through these rules, we're going to gain some understanding. But allow me to just give a disclaimer before we dive in. Right, these rules that uh, we're going to be reading over today in uh, Exodus 21, verses 1 through 32, they come during a time of an ancient Near Eastern people. So I'm not going to be able to spend time line by line really unpacking some understanding on the rules that God gave to his people in the Old Testament. But just so that we can be clear, you need to take off your 21st century hat and try to assess the rules of the Old Testament by today's understanding, because then you may find yourself a little bit off-put or offended. The same way if we took our rules and shared it with the ancient Near East, they would look at us cross-eyed. So I'm not going to be able to unpack it all. We may tease out a few things, but again, what we're really going to look at high level is the principle that God is teaching his people so that we can now take this timeless truth and apply it to our lives today. So it's a lot that we're going to go through as we talk through the rules that God gives his people. Before we dive in, I appreciate the prayer, but it's a practice that I still feel I can't shake away from. I just ask that you would pray for me and pray with me, and we'll dive into Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 32. Father, again, we humbly come before your throne of grace with thanksgiving in our hearts that you, an unchanging God, a holy and righteous God, King of kings and Lord of lords would choose to use people, that you would rescue and redeem, that you would send your only son to pay the price for our sins, that we might be your people and that we might be vessels of honor that you can use for your glory. Father, in this hour, we look to you to teach us as only you can. So please speak to us Speak through us a word that will charge, challenge, encourage, inspire us to run for you until the day that Jesus returns or you call us home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 
Exodus chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her master's and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God. And he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall be his slave forever. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself... He shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these things, these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and the man does not die but takes to his bed, Then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, And its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in. And it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver. And the ox shall be stoned. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. As we get ready to look at what God is teaching his people through this passage in regards to the value of life, of people. Before we can really look to get understanding on the rules, we first have to understand the reason that God gave the rules in the first place. And so I just want to go back for a moment to Exodus 19 and, again, high level, just remind us of the reason for the rules. Because once we remember the reason for the rules, then we can unpack the rules and gain some understanding and see the principle to glean from this timeless truth. 
So a quick backstory: we've been, again, in Exodus for a little while. About three weeks ago, uh, Daniel preached from Exodus 19. And what we saw was that the children of Israel were 430 years removed from slavery. So after 430 years of being imprisoned by the Egyptians, God rescued his people. And three months later, they now find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb, also known as the mountain of God. And God calls Moses up to the mountain to give Moses some instructions. And in these instructions, we can see the reason for the rules that God gives to his people in Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22, and 23. Looking at Exodus 19, starting at verse 3, the Lord called to him Moses out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on wings, on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the Lord is reminding the people of Israel, I rescued you, I redeemed you. And now he's letting them know that if they obey the rules that he gives them, that they will be in relationship with him. So these rules, yes, they give a responsibility. So it wasn't just, you can now do whatever you want, go ahead and be fat and happy in Canaan, and, and now you don't have to worry about a relationship with me. No, he said, if you are willing to indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all the people. So there's a responsibility. You're expected to keep these rules. You keep these rules, the Lord says you'll be my treasured people. We'll be in right relationship. And the Lord goes on to say, and as a result of this right relationship, verse 4 of chapter 19, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You shall be to me a set-apart people group. And the kingdom of priests, again, high level. We can't dive into it all. We'd have to jump into Exodus to see all, or Leviticus to see all the responsibilities of the priests. But just in summary, the priest was a representative of God to the people, and the priest represented the people to God. So you will be, as a nation of set-apart people, you will represent me to the nations. And those who respond rightly, you will represent them or you will present them to me. So as a people, if the children of Israel were willing to obey the voice of the Lord to keep his rules, they would be in right relationship with him. And as a result of this right relationship with God, they would present God to the nations that surrounded them. A set apart people and a kingdom of priests. And so now as we look at these rules, what we'll see over the next three weeks is what it looks like to be a set-apart people, a people who live differently than the nations that surround them. And so the Lord is telling his people that we as the people of God treat people, possessions, and our practices differently than the nations around us. So it should be clear to see based on the way that we respond to others that we are different Holy, a holy nation other than the other nations. And so then now as we look at this passage, Exodus 21, going on through verse 32, we'll see that God actually does something completely different than all of the other nations. Again, I'm going to leave so much meat on the bones that you'll probably come and talk to me later and say, Michael, I was a little uh, disappointed that you didn't really unpack this verse. And I'm telling you, if I could, you want to give me five hours, just buckle in, I'll grab a seat, and we can go all the way in. So I'm just going to skim over the top, and then you can come talk to me after if you have some more questions. I'll just stay right here until you're, until you're satisfied. But so I'm not going to be satisfied. We're just going to make that clear. I'm going to skim the top so that we can have some understanding what God is doing here. So verses 2 through 11... The Lord is looking at people who are impoverished, right? And then if we go from verse 12 on to verse, uh, I think, 19, yes, the Lord is looking at people who are vulnerable. And again, really just not doing it any justice of using these categories, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to lump it together. And then in verses 20 through 27, the Lord is looking at people who are disregarded, just ignored, not 
considered worth anything in the eyes of society. But now what we see in these rules that God gives to his people, the Lord actually assigns value to all people. Right? He says about the Hebrew slave. When you buy, verse 2, a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. We'll see it a little bit later. The year of Jubilee was the seventh year, and all that would belong to the, to the Lord would be returned back to him, and that's where the children of the nation of Israel would not be kept in slavery indefinitely. In the seventh year, they would go free. So, and just a little backstory again, we'll likely see it later. This was never God's intent for the people of Israel. They were never to get to the point of being impoverished. If they kept his laws, the Lord said that they would be the head and not the tail, that they would lend and not borrow. So really being to the point of impoverished as a Hebrew, you would have had to have been disobedient to the law of the Lord. And again, I think we'll get to that a little bit later in our time in this series. But here, if you get to the place where you find yourself impoverished, and you sell yourself into slavery, which this word uh, slavery translated in Hebrew can also be translated servant, and it has a double meaning. It could be voluntary or forced. So in this case, we understand this word servant, or we would consider it to be an indentured servant. Someone willingly gives themselves into servitude so that they can pay off a debt. So if a Hebrew native should sell themselves into indentured servitude, into slavery, then they had rights. As the people of God, they were to be treated a certain way. They were not to be looked down upon because they were impoverished. They were to be cared for as brothers and sisters in God. And so the Lord says they go out free. They go out for nothing. If they come in with the wife, they leave with that wife. If they should have a family when they come in, the Lord breaks it down that this does not belong to you. This belongs to your master and you can go out for free. But again, God is giving value to even the impoverished. You just can't mistreat the person who doesn't have because you have more than they do. Now, other nations, if you were impoverished, well, you were a menace to society. If you had to sell yourself into slavery, if you had to put yourself in a position of indentured servitude, you didn't get the option of saying, you know what, I'm a, maybe after year six, I think I'm going to take a, a sabbatical. <clears throat> what, what do you think? Like, what do I think? You belong to me. Right? Other nations would have treated people who were impoverished completely different. God says, no, even if you're impoverished, you're seen, you're known, you're loved, you're cared for. And we go a little further down in the passage. The Lord even assigns value to women. Now, I don't have time to unpack it. Like I said, like I'd like to. In our cultural moment, I know that this could be a lot of, create a lot of discomfort and issues. It doesn't really for me, so I'm, I'm okay just diving into it. But here, you can imagine, again, ancient Near East, women had no value, zero a matter of fact, for many nations, women were seen as property. And God is saying, you just can't treat a daughter of God any way you want to. Again, this is for those who voluntarily respond to servitude. So it's a man who gives his daughter over into indentured servitude. This daughter has rights. And if you don't fulfill those rights, then you have to give her back. You can't just treat her any kind of way that you want. Now, we really can't appreciate the revolutionary ideas that God is sharing with his people, that he would assign value to the impoverished, that he would give significance to a daughter, to a wife, to a woman. But God is telling his people, don't you copy those other nations, follow these rules because you're a set apart people. But not only to the impoverished, God also says for the vulnerable. Do not just abuse or misuse or take advantage of others. So the Lord says, if you lie and wait for somebody, meaning you're taking advantage of somebody and you kill them, then you will lose your life as well. God sees, he knows, and he responds. And God lets us know here, 
some, depending on what you're reading or looking at, there are different schools of, of thought. So I'm going to go with one that resonates with me as I understand the scriptures, but I'll also share another school of thought that could be equally as accurate here. Uh, verse 15, where it says, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now, again, we saw in the Ten Commandments, the Lord talked about honoring your father and your mother. And so it's not to say that if you hit your father as a three-year-old, then you're dead. It's not what the Lord is talking about here. Right, what it's actually speaking to, at least this is uh, one school of thought by reputable biblical scholars, is that the Lord is speaking to the elderly. Right now, and again, this resonates with me and my understanding and the research that I've done. I don't imagine that there needs to be a law right now for my son hitting me. If David hits me, I don't need a law for me to, or to protect me from him. He needs a law to protect him from me. My sister said, I love your son, but don't raise up. You know, I still got a little bit of energy left in me. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> but now in 20 or 30 years from now, 74-year-old version of Michael, and well, he would be 38? Whew, where'd the time go? 38-year-old version of David, he might be able, slight chance, <laughs> to take me. You know, so as I get older, don't hit me. You know, that's, that's the Lord is speaking to the vulnerable, the elderly, which again, thinking of ancient Near East, you're old, you're worthless. Sadly enough, probably not so ancient. And depending on where you're looking and seeing, I have a whole bunch of stories that I won't dive into now. But God assigns value to the vulnerable. The elderly are to be treated with reverence and respect. Now, again, some other reputable biblical scholars will argue that that's just across the board. Father and mother is speaking to at any point. And I would not say you don't believe in Jesus. Just a different way of understanding within the context, understanding the Hebrew language. That's where I land, the vulnerable, the elderly. And I think, again, you can do research and we could talk about it later, but time won't allow me to unpack all of the nuances of it. So even here where it says in verse 13, cursing your father and mother, it more paints the picture of the prodigal son, right, who looked at his older father and essentially said, why don't you die so I can get my inheritance? It's like, excuse you? That's why the prodigal son story is so mind-blowing if you understand the, the Hebrew law. <clears throat> So you're not to curse your father and mother. Again, it's speaking of reverencing the vulnerable. God assigns value to all in the, the community, in the people of God. And then we high-level overview go through verses 20 through 27. Now, this is more in the traditional understanding of the word slave, where it says in verse 20, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with the rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. So this is speaking of forced labor. But this would be forced labor that comes as the result of conquering a nation. Right? We go in, we conquer that nation, and there are some people who are taken captive. They now serve as slaves to the people who conquered that nation. And typically, again, if you've been with us for a little while, you go back to Exodus 1, you could see how other nations treated their slaves. The, the people of God, the nation of Israel was not treated with loving kindness. Their kids did not belong to them. They were discarding their kids into the water. That's how other nations treated their slaves. God is saying, should you conquer a nation and take their people captive, you cannot just misuse or abuse them. If you should kill them, think about it now, you will be required. Your life for the, for the slave, they're not even a Hebrew. The reason why they're slaves is because we beat the snot out of them and they couldn't do anything about it. And so now they're just property. God says, no, they're people. And you're not just to abuse and misuse them. If you so much as knock out a tooth, they go free. They're a slave. Everybody has value in the eyes of God. And God is teaching his people, don't you do. What you have seen done over the last 430 years, you are a holy nation. You're a set-apart people for the purposes of showing my love to the world so that when people look in and they see how you treat people, they might know that there's something different about these people. And what makes you so different? 
You could imagine that a slave who's being treated with loving kindness, like, man, I, I would have never imagined being treated so graciously. Why do you treat me this way? You start to learn a little, a little bit more about the God of the nation of Israel, and you just might find yourself wanting to be a part of the people of God. God is teaching his people how to be the people that he called them to be. And so these rules that God gives, the children of Israel have a responsibility. They have to keep these rules. And in keeping these rules, not only will they be in relationship, but they will also present God to other nations. And this was going to be radical. It was going to be revolutionary. It was going to be so different that you could not help but see that's a holy nation. There's something different about the God that they serve. And the beauty, someone may think, it's like, well, that's great, Michael. It's Old Testament. What does that have to do with us today? Well, we just sing about it. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So while we may be under a new covenant, he's the same God. In the same way that he was forming this family of faith under the banner of his love, He's forming us as a family of faith under the banner of his love. And he has the same expectations of us that he has of the people of God as we read through the book of Exodus. 1 Peter chapter 2. You go back and read the whole chapter. I'm going to pick up at verse 9 and read through verse 12 again for the interest of time. But you are a chosen race. This is being spoken to those who have come to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. A royal priesthood, that same word royal could be translated kingdom, a kingdom of priests. Sound familiar? A holy nation. We read that just a moment ago in Exodus. A people for his own possession. For what purpose? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And as a result of that, here's what Peter is communicating to these believers. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles because you're not a part of this place. Your home is heaven. You're citizens of heaven. So you're merely passing through a holy nation. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Live differently among the Gentiles, those who are not a part of this people of God. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here is the Lord speaking through his servant Peter in the New Testament, the same thing that God spoke through his servant Moses in the Old Testament. If you will obey me, you will be my people, a treasured possession. And as a result of that, you will be a holy nation, a set-apart people, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. For what purposes? To proclaim the excellencies, to present God to the world, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. In the same way he called me out of darkness into the marvelous light, now other people groups will know that he can call them out of darkness into the marvelous light. So God has an expectation of his people that he's rescued. And it's the same as we saw in the Old Testament, that we would treat people differently, that we would see possessions differently, that we would have different practices so that as a set-apart people, not that we're prideful, arrogant, or cocky, but so that we can let others see, know, and believe that Jesus is the Christ and that they will be drawn to him. I'm calling you out of slavery. I bore you on eagle's wings, brought you, I redeemed you, not because you were so great, grand, and good, but because I'm God, I'm good, and I want to represent myself to others through you. So I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you out, and I'm giving you these rules now so that as you live by these rules, 
others might see. He's a good God. And he's worth giving your life over to. And God says the same thing to you and to me today. Once you were not a people, you were in bondage, in slavery, enslaved to sin. Now you're a people because you've been rescued. You've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. And what do I do with that? Live in such a manner that the Gentiles can see that you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's what God is calling us to right here, right now. And if you think that I'm stretching it, let's look at James chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 just to see that God has the same expectations of his people today, that we would treat people differently. Why? Because we're his people. In the world, there's no expectation of this, but God has an expectation of his people, and rightfully so. I tell my kids, dogs bark. Cats meow, sinners sin. You should expect it. But you should also expect for saved people to live for their God. And God has that expectation. So here we see in James, James is writing to believers. Just so we're clear. This is not a letter to the Gentiles. This is a letter to the people of God who've been bored up on wings as an eagle. James lets them know that you are to treat people differently. My brothers and sisters, those who are of the faith, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not made, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really... Fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which Jesus said this royal law was a summary of all the laws and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And here is the other that's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you treat people who are impoverished, who are vulnerable, who are considered disregarded by society, if you show partiality and you treat those who are wealthy, well-off, seeming like they have it all together, strong words here, but it's in the word of God, you are committing sin. In other words, you are not obeying the rules that God has put into place. So the God who calls us to be his children has an expectation today that we treat people differently because of who he is and who we are in him. So the Old Testament, contrary to some opinions, is not an antiquated book. It's not dated and worthless and we just need to read Matthew through Revelation. No, the Old Testament is very much relevant. Now, maybe not line for line, but there are principles that show that God is consistent from the beginning to the end. He has not changed. He has the same expectation. I'm calling you. I'm forming a family. We are now a part of the people of God, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because he has redeemed us, he has now given us a responsibility. Do what I tell you. 
What are you telling me, God? To treat people the way that they are to be treated. Because as we read in Exodus, and as you can read in Genesis, all of creation belongs to God. And so even if someone does not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they were still made in the image of their creator. And God is the one who assigns value to life. And so he has this expectation that we treat all of his creation the way that he treats his creation. And how did he treat his creation? While you were still in sin, he loved you and sent his only son to die for you. And you know what he saved you for and did not call you to heaven because of? Because he wants you now to demonstrate that love. And he wants me to demonstrate that love to others. And we see that in the word. Colossians chapter 3. Again, you have to read chapter 2 and 3. How much time? Oh, I'm doing great. Never mind. Let me see if I can read a little bit more here. Yeah, why don't we read a little bit more? We'll start at verse 1. And you can read verse 2. So you're welcome. Or chapter 2. You're welcome. I'm giving you a little less homework to do. We'll start at verse 1 and read through uh, verse 14. If then the expectations of the believer and how we're to treat people. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Doesn't sound like a suggestion. And above all these... Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Could you imagine if God's people behaved this way? It wouldn't make any sense to people. Wait a minute, you had some issues with that person, and you're just going to forgive them? Oh, no, there's no way I'm forgiving them. They're going to have to pay. And since I can't make them pay, I'm going to hold a grudge because it makes me feel good to let them know that I don't like them. Right? And so we'll just get nasty with somebody because we want to teach them a lesson. That's how people of the world behave. So it doesn't make any sense when people in God are forgiving each other because they have been forgiven. Meekness? No, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm humble. I want people to know that I'm the man and treat me like it. I deserve that kind of respect unless you're following in the footsteps of Jesus who did not count equality with God something to be grasped but was willing to put on this earthly frame so that he can serve because he did not come to be served, he came to serve. What happens family if we start to allow ourselves to be shaped and formed as the family of God and start to treat people the way that God calls us to treat people. Just want to let it sit there for a moment. 
right? Because this challenges me, and I believe that it probably challenges us all in some way, shape, or form. Because sometimes we could wrestle and think that, well, man, people aren't really seeing the love of God. Well, if they're seeing you, they should be encountering the love of God. If they're seeing us, they should be encountering the love of God. That's the reason why division in the body of Christ is so detrimental to the people of God. Because it's our oneness that's supposed to show others that there's something different about this people, which lets us know there's something different about their God. And so the question that we have to wrestle with is how are we treating each other? And how are we treating others? And what I found to be true is that how we treat people is a reflection of what we truly value. Right? If you are showing partiality, to someone who's wealthy, who you feel is powerful, who can hook you up, then what you're demonstrating is you value wealth. You value power or prestige. And so I'm pursuing those things. If I value God and all of God's creation, then I should treat the impoverished, the vulnerable, the disregarded the same way I would treat the wealthy and the well-off. Because what I recognize is they're all made in the image of God. And there's only one person I'm looking to please. Right? Because it's only if I obey his voice that I can stay in right relationship with him. And I want to stay in right relationship with my creator. I'd rather have a right relationship with God than a right relationship with the world. That should have gotten at least one and a half amens. I mean, I know I've been gone for three weeks. But come on. I mean, is that not good? All right. That was a mumble of an amen, and thank you from this section back here. Preach to the back section. So if we're going to live for God, right, it's going to look different. We cannot say that we have been redeemed, that we have been bored on wings as eagles, and that we are now rescued from slavery to sit here and act like we got it all together And I don't care about you or your problems. No, you are my family. What you're going through, I'm going through with you. Hearts of compassion. That's what it means to have a compassionate heart. You can't ignore my pain because I'm your family. Go ahead and step on your toe and ignore it. You can't. It's on your body. It's a part of your person. right? And something that I'm wrestling with really deeply on the inside. I'm pacing myself for a four-week sermon series. But people of God, we really have to start to wrestle with this well. Because if we're not being a family, then someone is going to miss the beauty of our creator. And you say, Michael, I mean, you can't put that on us. Okay. I'll let Jesus put it on you. John 17, verse 20. Through 23. I do not ask for these only, but I also, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's for you and that's for me. That they may all be one. Family. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one family, even as we are one, one as God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Jesus is putting this on us. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, forming that family, so that the world may know. Let's sow that again. The world, those who don't know, may know that you sent me. And I love them even as you love me. The world will know that the Father has sent the Son when we are one. When we are behaving in a way that expresses compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other as we have been forgiven. And putting on love. 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And you know, you don't have to be musical to know when something's not in harmony. I mean, I can't hit it, but that person didn't hit it either. You know when something's not in harmony, right? But love keeps us together in perfect harmony. We cannot do this in and of our own strength. The world will not do this. If we do this as children of God, then the world will know that the Father has sent the Son because they're seeing something completely different. They're seeing a people who have been set apart to proclaim the excellencies of the one who calls us out of darkness into the marvelous light. How are you behaving? I'm going to wrap it up. Wind it down before I get myself in trouble. So let me get myself in a little bit of trouble. <clears throat> Because we need to wrestle well. So allow me to park here for a few more minutes. Don't worry, as I get back into the rhythm, I may shorten it up. Or I may stretch it out. We'll see. But how are you treating people? We need to wrestle with this. The conversation that I have the most with people who love Jesus, typically at the root, draws back to forgiveness. Holding a grudge because someone has wronged you. And the term that I hear probably the most that hurts my heart the most when talking to people in the faith is church hurt. It's like just a a pain sincerely for me. It's, It's almost like those two words should be oxymorons. You just shouldn't be able to put them together, but we understand what someone's talking about when they say that they've experienced that term. It ought not to be so. right? Because we should be a people, not that are perfect, but are willing to acknowledge our imperfections. So here, let me just make it plain. If I have offended you ever, please come and let me know so that I can apologize to you. Because even if it looked like it was intentional, trust me, it's not. Right? Our hearts are to bring honor and glory to God. And sometimes in my feeble frame, I may trip up. And I may not have quite said something the way that it could have been said. I probably could have polished it up a little bit better. You all get the most polished version I could possibly muster up. Jomar rarely gets the polished version. And I'm usually having to go back and say, I'm, you're right. Could have eased in a little bit more on that one. And I have to ask for forgiveness. Right? So let's, let's not act like we're above making mistakes. So we need to ask for forgiveness, and we also need to forgive. But we need to start acting differently. And please hear the word of God, not Michael's opinion. God commands it of us. It's not a suggestion. It's not a great idea. If we are going to be the family of God, we need to act differently than the world. Do you want to please God more than you want to please the world? That should be a hard, not that you need to say it now, but I'm sure that that's a hearty yes. Well, then look at how we're acting and make sure that our actions line up with that truth. And something else that I just want to dive on just a little bit with James because he talks about it to us through the word of God. No partiality. What are you pursuing? Because sometimes the things that's tripping us up from living as a family is not pursuing the things of God. Instead, we're pursuing wealth. We're trying to fight to get to the top rung. And you know what happens when you're fighting to get to the top rung? Well, you got to pull some people down if you're going to climb up. And God is saying, no, don't fight to get to the top rung. Fight to be one. Fight to be a family. So my first leaning is to applaud, to celebrate with you, and for you to celebrate with me. And I'm going to be quick to forgive you as I hope you would be quick to forgive me, not because I deserve it and not because you deserve it, but because of how we have been forgiven. If you earned it, then you hold someone else accountable to it and tell them you got to earn it before I give it. Anybody earned their salvation? Good. Then freely give forgiveness. We should be a people who hold no grudges. I know it's hard, but it's holding no grudge because I'm thinking about who God is and what he's done for me. So where do you assign value? 
God says that all people are valuable. All people are worthy to be loved. And because God says this, and the way that he has loved us, I'm going to love you that way. And I pray that you love me that way as well, to bring honor and glory to the one who's worthy of it all. I want to invite the praise team to come back up for the next couple of minutes. I'd like for us to sit in this truth. I really do believe that this is the highlight of the sermon. Because in this moment, in just a few fleeting moments, you and Jesus, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit impresses on our heart the spaces that we may try to hide the things that we don't want anybody else to know, not to shame or guilt us, but so that we can bring it to the altar and say, Lord, please forgive me. I long for you. Right? And so in these next few moments, considering what the word of God says, would you take some time to consider what you're pursuing? Because if you're pursuing something other than God, if you're seeking things of the earth, setting your minds on things of the earth and not seeking things above, setting your mind on things above, then you can know why very quickly you're tripping up and, and showing partiality. So what do you need to set aside so that you can pursue Christ and Christ alone? And maybe the question that you need to wrestle with is who do I need to forgive? What do I need to let go? How do I need to live out love in this space, this space, in all spaces? Listen, people of God, this is not suggestion. Now, you don't have to do this and think that you're not going to heaven. But my point is, in this not being a suggestion, is responding rightly to what God says we're to do. So I just encourage you, just take a couple of minutes, quiet space. Open up your device that you take notes in, write some things down, whatever you need to do. Just don't leave here holding on to a grudge. Don't leave here pursuing something other than God. Lord, I was trying to pursue the top rung. I take that down. I'm looking to be one. And may we leave here with an action item from the Holy Spirit to live love with someone who looks like they may not deserve it. Because we know that they really do deserve it. Because we have a God who loved us when we didn't deserve it. So for the next couple of minutes, bow, sit, kneel, stand, whatever you need to do, you and Jesus, make it a precious moment and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit.